The following episode contains major plot points that may spoil movies for some viewers. A spoiler warning is now in effect. Remember kids, V is for vamp. Hi everybody, welcome to the episode of the Ebby Normal Podcast, our new episode today. And I'm your host Colin Bourne. And I'm Leah. How is it going everybody? I hope everyone's having a lo- lovely day. Mm-hmm. And today we're going to be looking at an interesting movie that I really, really like. Yeah, so as we said last week, we are going to be doing something very special for Pride Month. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be highlighting movies that have LGBTQIA plus representation in them. So this week we're going to be covering the movie Vamp. I believe there's a lot of great representation here. Which um, I never knew growing up that this was that type of movie until I realized, you know, Grace Jones is in it. Yeah. So she really brings a lot of that fire into this movie. Yeah. What's and, up? And she does not care what anyone thinks. Even in all of her interviews that I've watched, she had never given a shit about what people thought about her as an individual. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing I like about her, you know? She's like... Her own punk rock sense of what who she is. And she knows who she is. Mm-hmm. And she puts that out there. Both, you know, mysterious but yet highly intellected. And one of the best fashion icons, too. Yes. She's always worn something that just seems crazy. And just people are just talking about it even the week after. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what makes her a pioneer in what she does. Yeah. And she has a lot of uh, associates who are in the art industry. And I'll go over some of them as we go along with this movie because there's a lot in here that I realize about Grace Jones herself as a person. And like I said, how many people of the community had their hand in making this movie. And I think I even mentioned before, it's one of those movies that's highlighted in the Queer for Fear docuseries that's on Shudder, mm-hmm. which I have said before. They don't sponsor us, but if it's something that piques your interest or you like to learn more about it, go it's on Shutter. It. Yeah, yep. go and watch it. It's a good. It's a good docu series too. I've watched a few of them, mm-hmm. and especially one with Vamp. Yes. But I knew this movie way before it was ever even talked about in documentaries. Mm-hmm. And when I first first time saw it, when I was like, I don't know, like I think it was about 10, 11 years ago. Yes. And I was just like kind of shit in my pants because it was like way different than any other 80s vampire movie I've watched. Mm -hmm. Because other vampire movies are either very sensual or very um, funny, stuff like that. But this one was just no holds bar. It had everything you want. It had the the hardcore-ness of like the gore. It had humor. It had sensual... It had exoticness. It had it had basically everything. And plus, not only that, Grace Jones's makeup for the vampire is pretty nuts looking. Yeah. And with her vampire, her is more Egyptian fiend. Do they ever explain that in the movie? Not much, but they're then always. Then how do you know? That? Well, honey, I can tell because there was definitely the hieroglyphics. I think they talked about it a little bit. I'm trying to remember, but I know there is Egyptian theme within her vampire character because vampires also came from Egyptian culture as well. Okay. So yeah, say they say some of the first vampires came from Egypt. Mm-hmm. But but before we go in, before we go into vamp though, is there anything you want to touch base on outside of the movie of vamp? Anything new in the world of horror you want to talk about? Is this a rhetorical question? Well, I feel like you and I have come across some horror stuff in recent 
weeks and months. Oh. Wouldn't you say? Can I, I don't know about lately. Ooh, I got one. I just it just came to mind. Did you hear about the new uh what's it what's it called? What do you call those Insidious? No, cereals. Oh. Those cereals. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The actually, monster cereals. Actually, you and Carolyn actually uh, sent me these the other yes. day. And it was like the new, like the caramel apple flavor. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, they haven't made one in, like they said, about 35 years. Yeah. So I so, thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so it's the Count Chocula, Boo Berry, and Frankenberry, right? Is that what they are? Our original three flavors? First of all, Count Dracula. No, Count Chocula. Yes. Booberry. Yes. Frankenberry. Yep. Yummy Mummy. Yep. Fruit Brute. Okay. I think either Yummy Mummy was the last one was made about thirty five years ago, or okay. I think it was Fruit Brute. No, actually, no. It was I think it was Yummy Mummy, because Fruit Brute was already in it. And they're General Mills brand, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So General Mills came out with another new monster cereal flavor. I forgot what's her name. You just said. Carmella Apple? Oh, no. oh well, the, the the flavor was. Oh, I think her name is Carmella Creeper. Yes. Which, that's a pretty badass name. You like it because it has the word Creeper in it, like your band name. I thought it was interesting. I think they must have got it from us. But no, I mean, if that actually, if they did get it from us, like if they looked up, hey, there's this band called Grease Creeper. Let's call our new uh, cereal Carmella Creeper. Yeah. And I actually would love that. I mean, if we could, if they can, we could sponsor that. That'd be sweet. But uh, but no, I don't know if got it from. Nah, she can't get it from us. But yeah. Yeah. But I was actually really excited about that. I was just like, man, is Halloween coming early this year or what? Yeah. So they just released that, and I feel like there's something else I'm missing too. Yeah, but you'll think about it. And I know yeah. it's going to come to me probably well, later on the Well, let's episode. move on as time goes on. And if you think about it, you can just randomly be like, oh, I remember now. I do want to make one more thing known. Even though Fright Rags doesn't sponsor us anymore, they are having their own pride sale mm-hmm. this month. They partnered with Fangoria and they're releasing Fangoria pride shirts. 100% of the proceeds are going to... They go to the LGBT plus Central Orlando. It's an organization that's been on going since 1978, has provided services to the LGBTQ plus community in Central Florida, and is the only community center offering comprehensive HIV services, mental health counseling, victim service case management, peer-led social and support groups, uh, addiction therapy and recovery, food pantries, and housing stability case management's And their mission is to promote and empower the LGBTQ community and its allies through advocacy, education, information, support. So, Well, they have my support, that's for sure. So it's very exciting. I definitely want to get my hands on some merch because it's not just Fright Rags that's doing this. A lot of companies that make horror merch. Well, like I said, with uh, Dead Meat and Creepy Company, they do that too. Yeah, they're doing their own sales as well. Proceeds of those are also going towards organizations that yeah. support LGBTQ plus communities. Which I'm which, excited for this. This is cool. Yeah, yeah. And I would love to eventually put out merch, not just for Pride, but for us everyone. in general. Yeah. yeah, we like to put it out for everyone out there. Yeah. But it's hard because those things cost money. Yeah. We're not a podcast right now that's being monetized. So I wish until but... until things turn around for the podcast, we can only hope. 
And once we do get t-shirts and everything, we'll let you guys know and stuff. And we'll have them like online or something like that or mm-hmm. whatever. You know, we'll just order that way. Yep. Yep. And with that in mind, I think let's focus on the movie. All right. So Vamp was released on July 18th of 1986. Stop oh. looking at my notes, Colin. Oh, I wanted to see the years. No. You shut up. It has a runtime of an hour and 34 minutes and was directed by Richard Wenk. Filming began on January 28th, 1986, which was the same day the Challenger space shuttle exploded. Which, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. On January 28th? Yeah, January 28th, 1986. They started on that day? Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, nobody could have known. Well, unless you watch the documentary that's on Netflix, nobody outside of NASA could have known that something like this was going to happen. That's just crazy, though, that it just happened on the same day as that. Yeah. Anyway, go on. It stars Grace Jones as Katrina, Chris Makepeace as Chris, or Keith. Is he Keith? Let me see. I think I might have gotten the names mixed up. Yeah, honey, it's Chris. I looked it up and I, yeah, I got the names mixed up. Chris Makepeace plays Keith. Mm-hmm. Robert Russler is yeah, AJ. I love Robert Russler. Can you not talk while I'm talking? Well, he's great. He is great, but I'm just saying Robert Russler as AJ, that's his character. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gede or Gede Watanabe or Watanabe. I don't know if I'm pronouncing Watanabe, it. you got I've it. heard it different ways, so I'm using both. Just, yeah. Plays Duncan and Dee Dee Pfeiffer is Allison. She was cool. I like her in the movie. She yeah. just seemed very, uh, you know, quirky, a, adorable, but badass. She was eccentric. Kind of like me if I was a chick. Anyway. anyway. The late Tina Turner was considered for the role of Katrina. Yo, can you imagine that if she was the vampire? Uh, I kind of can. She would have more of a voice, yeah, act, voice acting role. For but this. there's there's a reason why Katrina didn't speak in this movie. Why? I'll get to that in a little bit. Why do you but, do that? You tease. But I definitely agree. If Tina Turner had played the role as Katrina, she would have been way more vocal than Grace Jones was and in this film. Her vampire would probably be a little more horrifying looking. Well, it still would have been the same prosthetics. I, I mean, know, it just would have looked different on a different face. Can you just imagine Tina Turner as a vampire? I mean, I already know that she was like an apocalyptic leader in like Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. That could be why she was almost casted for this role. Yeah, but... Not for nothing. The setting of where the the nightclub takes place uh, kind of looks like something out of Mad Max almost. Because of how deserted it kind of looks at yeah, night. But, yeah, but Mad Max was already released a year prior. So she would have had time to do the movie. Yeah. So. So is there anything you want to talk about before we go into the plot? No, just go into the plot. All right. So two college students, Keith and AJ, set out to hire an exotic dancer to schmooze their way into a campus fraternity. They, excuse you. I'm just saying, that's just ridiculous that they do that. They borrow a Cadillac from fellow student Duncan, who mm-hmm. insists on co- accompanying them uh, to scope out strip clubs in a nearby city. The three students find themselves at a club in a shady part of town, and after being mesmerized by a strange dancer, Katrina, AJ approaches her in her dressing room to inquire about her dancing services for the frat party. Now, like I said... I feel like if Tina Turner had been casted for Katrina, she would have been way more vocal because it was actually Grace Jones's idea 
of having her character Katrina be nonverbal, and this was inspired by another non-speaking vampire role, Nosferatu. Yep. Yep. So I think sense. that's. Well, then again, that was in the Sahan era too, but yeah. But I still think it's more mysterious if they don't talk. And I think the fact yeah. that she doesn't talk at all is not only even more mysterious, but it also continues to put you on that sense of edginess mm-hmm. where you don't know what she's going to do because yeah. all of her communication is based on her body language and her actions mm-hmm. like you don't know what she's thinking but or her what she's yelling yeah but her yelling and all that is actually still very creepy yeah yeah and she laughs too like her cackles are really weird i love it though yeah due to low budgeting grace jones's costumes were lended to her by fashion designer friends huh. yeah so she like i said she really pulled her resources in this one she had got costumes lended to her she had you know her makeup and body paint done by friends of hers which i'll get into in a second but you know it it really it really took a lot of her resources to make this movie what it was for Mm -hmm. her character which i applaud the paint grace jones domes on during the dance scene was painted by keith herring an LGBTQIA plus pop artist during the 1980s who advocated for safe sex and AIDS awareness. And in 1983, Herring also did the same body paint on choreographer Bill T. Jones in that same artistic style. Hmm. Which I thought was really cool. Yeah. And and like definitely the artwork for this movie was definitely top notch. Yeah. And even uh, Gede Watanabe even says in the... In Search of Darkness docu-series on, mm-hmm. that's also on Shudder. Yeah. He, when they were preparing for that scene, he sat to the side and watched Keith Haring paint on Grace Jones's body. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the same paint that's also on the human statue, the chair statue that she dances on. Yeah. Which, by the way, the, the, the human sti- the, blah, 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 the <laughs> human shaped statue displayed during Katrina's dance scene, is modeled after Jones's then-boyfriend, Dolph Lundgren. 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 Sound it out, Colin. What does this say? Lundgren. 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 Yeah, you got it. Anyway. Mm. The song that played during the scene was sung by Grace Jones herself, although it was never commercially released but credited titled Vamp in the movie. A reworked version of the track was released on her album, Bulletproof Heart, released in 1989, Mm -hmm. which I thought was really cool. Yeah. From here on out, though, those are the only behind-the-seats notes I have written for this movie. Wow, you're on your own. There is one more, but I'll point it out after this. I would have used them in different parts. Well, it's hard because all all of those pieces of facts were just from the dance scene alone. But anyway, uh, so Katrina pins him, pins AJ on her blood-filled mm, waterbed. Yeah. And begins seducing AJ by massaging, licking, and gently biting his chest. Once AJ is entranced, Katrina transforms into a vampire and breaks one of AJ's arms to subdue him and kills him after biting deep into his neck. Oh, yeah, that which, biting scene was... Ugh. Yeah, which Robert Ressler even says in the same In Search of Doc- Darkness documentary that Grace Jones really committed to the bit. She bit so hard on his neck that she actually 
broke through the prosthetic and on his neck. I don't want to talk about that. Oh, my God. All right, go on. Okay. Go on. All right. Oh, that's horrible. So, concerned at AJ's delay. I hate that. You good? Oh, God, yeah. Concerned by AJ's delay, Keith gets help from a waitress named Amaretto, who (laughs) insists that she knows him, much to Keith's confusion. The pair search the neighborhood, and Keith is separated from Amaretto while trying to escape from both a street gang as well as from vampires throughout the area. While hiding in a dumpster, Keith finds AJ's dead body. But when he calls the cops and goes back to the club to accuse the owners, the vampires have anticipated him by bringing AJ back to the club as an undead person. Yep. AJ admits to Keith that he's now a vampire, and after realizing that Keith will not kill him and is willing to die for him, AJ stakes himself with a piece of broken furniture. Mm -hmm. Keith, along with Amaretto and Duncan, flee the club. However, their car is struck by other vehicles driven by vampires. After losing the vampires, Keith realizes that Duncan has been turned into a vampire, and he and Amaretto abandon him in the burning car, which was kind of sad. I felt bad for Duncan in that moment. Me too. Poor guy just wanted friends. He wanted friends, and he wanted to get laid. Yeah, but I felt (laughs) bad for him because he was, you know, he just didn't have friends. Because when when we first meet Duncan in this movie, AJ and Keith approach him because they know he's a rich kid from a foreign country who has a nice car. Who can take them to nightclubs where they need to go. And all Duncan wants is just to make American friends. Yeah. Like I said, as a new kid from a foreign country who doesn't know anybody, that's all you want to do is try to fit in. Yeah, but what the friends did basically lure him to his death. I know, and I feel... Not only did they lure him there, not intentionally, but they left him to kind of like by himself, yeah. unattended. It kind of made him easy prey for vampires to lure on him. And we do get certain moments where we kind of check back on Duncan and he is being like swarmed by patrons of the bar. Yeah, and that's what happens, you know? Yeah, I feel bad for Duncan. Pour one out for Duncan. (laughs) Wait, hold on. There's no water in there or anything. Damn it. Mm, So the pair attempt to escape through the sewers as Amaretto reveals... Her real name is Allison, and she met AJ from a game of Spin the Bottle in fifth, in fifth grade. Oh, wow. Yeah. While they flee through the sewers, they discover and burn a nest of vampires. But Allison is grabbed and held hostage by Katrina. And after an arrow to the face and being staked in the chest with a pipe failed to stop Katrina, Keith kills her by opening a grate allowing the sunlight to destroy her. Mm-hmm. And before they can escape to the surface, they are trapped by Vlad, who is Katrina's vampire consort. And until that, until Vlad is staked from behind by a revived AJ, who sheepishly states that the stake he tried to kill himself with turned out to be Formica, which is like a false wood. Really? Yeah. Oh. You know what Formica is, right? Huh? Formica. No. You know those chairs that are landlord? Oh, yeah, yeah, Those yeah. are for Micah. Oh, okay. They're like a woven... I thought you were saying they are for a guy named Micah. I hate you. What? <laughs> I, I hate you right now. Why? Because you're so dumb. I love you, though. You're such a troll. Anyway. What? <laughs> As Keith and Allison resurface above ground, AJ remains in the sewers, calling out to him his ideas to adapt to his new lifestyle. And scene. And scene. 
But no, I think Anything. I think that's a great one. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's different from the other ones because you had a different variety of vampire films back in the day, and some of them were kind of a revival of stuff. And like, there's a cowboy one. There's a one going after some teenagers. There's teenagers dressing up as like these weird rock stars. Like you have like vampires that were all over the place, and they're all like these young, these young people who are just trying to figure out. But yeah, that's pretty much most of Vamp. That's all I got for behind the scenes facts and the plot mm-hmm. and all that good stuff. Pretty much, yeah. And there are some honorable mentions we could have gone over too. Like there's The Hunger, mm-hmm. there's Dracula's Daughter. Yeah. There's um Interview with a Vampire. Interview with a Vampire. Which is not my favorite. Um, Lost Boys is probably the best one. You like to make fun of me for it because the the love interaction between David and Michael, like... Okay, so hear me out. Dave, it's not... It's not. First of all, I don't tease you for it. It's just... You make fun of me. I don't make fun of you. Mm-hmm. I just think that it's interesting because we have talked about Lost Boys before in depth and I have... My issues with the director of the movie. Really? Joel Schumacher? Yes. Wait, is it Joel Schumacher? Is it Joel Schumacher? No, I don't think it's Joel Schumacher. You talk, I'll look up. Yeah. No, but there's really, for you, there's issues. For me, there isn't any issues. I feel like that movie is definitely, I don't know, I'm not trying to be biased or anything, but I feel like it's like the best well-written teenage vampire film. It is Joel Schumacher. Oh, I, I just right. think that the 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 fact that he chose to go with hot-looking teenage boys as his focal point for the movie because and there was a quote I did say from him. He said something about how like vampires are hot, Frankenstein's not hot and I'm like But you don't fucking know. Well, here's the thing. No, you can't really sexualize Frankenstein's monster. I mean, if you could, I mean, that'd be kind of like a a romance novel-esque type of movie if you did that. Mm -hmm. But with vampires, you can because for them, they have very fragile looking skin and their bone structure and the way they look. You can shape them to become very beautiful. And they are shapeshifters. So they could probably be... Ugly on the inside, but on the outside, they're these beautifully looking, like, godlike statues. Yeah, and I think the thing about when it comes to... So, yeah, I mean, when it comes to vampire movies, vampire movies specifically aren't really my favorite because I've said it before on the podcast. They're, they become so artistically romanticized that it sort of loses the horror sense in, in a way. But I think that when I watch Queer for Fear and I see how people of the community explain how they identify or see themselves in the way that the vampires are usually treated or what they're going through in terms of like their own identities as these undead beings that are essentially doomed to walk the earth alone. Mm. I can kind of see that parallel and that's, that narrative. That's why I feel like I'm that that type of person. But I also feel like Dracula's daughter, too, is a great example of that. Because it's not only a female vampire who is really, really suppressing her urges to feed on people. It also highlights a lot of what was going on at the time for 
people of the community who were being ostracized just for being gay or lesbians. And, yeah. You know, because <clears throat> one of the things, and I don't know if you remember, for, did you watch American Horror Story Asylum season? It was mm, the second season. Not really. Not too so, much. So, it kind of centers around this time period in the 50s and 60s oh, where... Oh, is that with the alien thing and like... There was something? a bit of an a- alien plot okay. line, mm-hmm. but there was another plot line in that season that kind of identifies with what's going on in Dracula's Daughter and that's this sort of conversion therapy, which was kind of messed up. So what they would do with, like, let's say with women, for example, who were lesbians, if they were admitted into this sort of treatment, they would be given these drugs that would make them feel repulsed by certain things, and then they would show them objects of, like, women. Mm -hmm. Like, pictures of women, pictures of, like women provocative settings and they would try to physically make it so that women were not attracted to women and that for women to look at other images of other women so they were trying to brainwash them essentially which which is essentially what conversion therapy is setting out to do it's it's making people who are attracted to the same sex be repulsed by that can you imagine if they try to do that now to people they still do that now to people. There are some conversion therapies that are still practicing today, which is terrible. Wow. I'm yeah. surprised they still kept that going. But like I said, I think Dracula's Daughter is another good example of that because all throughout the movie you see Dracula's Daughter interact with these men and she has these urges that she wants to act upon and they're trying to get her to suppress those. And really, the bot like in the movie, the urge is to feed on human blood, mm-hmm. and she does take on a lot of female victims, like her father did. So that's why the parallel is there, the narrative is there, and I think it's a great example of that type of representation. It's a very dark one, but mm-hmm. I think it's a very interesting one. Mm. But I'm glad that we got to cover Vamp because I said it before; it's not just People in the movie who are representative of the community, there are people who worked on this movie that are also part of that community as well. And I think that that makes Vamp a good example of LGBTQIA plus representation in horror. Hmm. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we wrap up? No, I think you made a good point there. Do you know what you want to do next week Uh, episode for Pride? Did we talk about this? I thought about doing the Babadook. Oh, yeah, yeah, we did talk about that. we've yeah. got, this, this is going to be posted on June 11th, and at this point we have two more weeks of Pride before Pride Month is over. I would like to do more of this outside of Pride, because Pride should be an everyday thing. Not, not just, just one month. Right. It should be everyday, kind of like how Halloween is everyday. Something like that. Something to that effect. But <laughs> I, I feel like... Every week, we should cover a different type of sub- subgenre of horror that has LGBTQI plus representation in it. I'm down. So I think Babadook is a good supernatural horror film which I that never, we should cover. Which I get it, but I didn't. I don't understand why the being. I'm gonna do my research though. Okay. I'm gonna look it up. Then you, when you do that, you let me know so I can try to see a full mindset of this. You know, yeah. To understand, I'm like. Now I get it. But yeah. until then, we're not there yet. I'm like, eh, no. Yeah. 
But yeah. But I think other than that, I think uh, we cover mostly what we have today on the show. Okay. And thank you all for listening. I'm glad you guys enjoyed this. And what was that guy's name? The one that uh, they used him? Duncan? Duncan, the the guy from 16 Candles, right? Yes. Okay, cool. That's his character's name. He's my favorite. I like him in the movie. He's he's better than those two douchebags. But anyway, Mm -hmm. this has been a great episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. Stay tuned to more episodes as we um, bring out, dish out more uh, week by week. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, you know, maybe sometimes we might have a problem doing week by week because depending on holidays or situations or even if we're sick. But other than that, we will keep keep dishing out content for you each each week. Mm-hmm. And other than that, this has been the Abby Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Aaliyah. Signing off saying, Duncan's friends are assholes. AJ and Keith are assholes. Pretty much. As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.